happened at Bethlehem. Tonight, if you're able to come and to be a part of the gospel presentation through music and song, I'm telling you, you need to be here. It would be worth the effort. I'm telling you through a phone call and encouragement, even to go by and pick someone up to come and be a part uh, of the musical this evening. I'm telling you, it's more than a musical. It is literally the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, uh, I was here last night. Uh, people gave their life to Christ. Uh, I sat right there and watched my granddaughter sing and tears rolled down my face. Mm. And she sang about the grace of God. Anybody in here uh, ever experienced the grace of God? Say amen. amen. Well, I want to tell you, today we're going to be looking at, gra at grace. We're going to look at grace that leads to the Redeemer. Grace that leads to the Redeemer. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I'm going to speak fast. You're going to have to listen quick because uh, I'm going to preach two chapters in one sermon. And in order for me to do that, uh, it's going to be uh, real, real, real fast. I'm thankful, though, that in Sunday school, if you've been a part of that, you have already been through uh, the book of Ruth. You've already been through chapter 1, chapter 2. Now you're in chapter 3. So uh, you're ahead of me, but before I end up today, Lord willing, we're going to be through with that. And it's all about grace, grace that leads to the Redeemer. Today what I would like to do, just for the sake of time, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 2. And uh, I want to read the first three verses of Ruth chapter th 2. So uh, whether you're watching uh, by internet or, or if you're uh, here today or maybe you've missed something in the past, you say, well, I didn't get the previous sermons. You can go on our website and you can get those. And I'm going to be honest with you, you can pick out different preachers. Man, I'm telling you, this will be the third time I've been a part of Ruth today. I heard Pastor Nate preach at 8.15, did a wonderful job. Pastor Chris was at 9.30, did a wonderful job. And now you're stuck with me. But anyway, I just want you to know we are going to have a good time as we look in the book of Ruth. So if you found your place there, and if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, would you join me as we stand together and read God's Word in honor of Him? Ruth chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. You may be seated for prayer. Father, today we truly understand there are no happenstance with you. We truly believe there is nothing accidental, coincidental. Father, I truly believe in the providential hand of God. And so, Lord, today, as we look into your scriptures, I pray that you'll touch heart. It's not coincidental that people are here in this worship service today or they're watching via the Internet. Father, I believe they're here because of your amazing grace has drawn them today to you. So, Lord, do a mighty work, I pray. May lives be changed and transformed forever, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about Ruth, we must remember that Ruth is a Christmas story that's told centuries ahead of time. Therein is told a moving love story which culminates in the birth of a baby. Such as that, we come to chapter 2 and we look at the two main characters that are groomed in this chapter, but we must be reminded of a little bit of what took place in chapter number 1. We understand that there is a lady there by the name of Naomi. Her and her husband and her two sons leave the house of bread, Jerusalem, 
uh, and they go to Moab, which is wash pot, known as God's wash pot. And so they left the fullness of God, and they went there to a pagan uh, world, and they experienced nothing there but misery. We understand that Naomi lost her husband, Elimelech, and we know that uh, her two sons married two ladies, Orpha and Ruth, and their husbands died. Naomi's two husbands died. So now, all of a sudden, what we have here is that Naomi is a bitter woman. She is bitter because of sin. She is bitter because of the rebellion against God, and God has brought judgment, she says, against her. She says, his hand has been against me. And so in this, she blames God for all her problems. She left the house of bread full, but she comes back empty. She is empty of home. No husband, no children. She is empty of hands. There is no one to provide for her, and she is empty of heart. Her heart is broken, and she is sad. So we have Naomi in chapter 2 in this situation. But we also find Ruth. Ruth is a Gentile woman from a pagan country who comes to know the true and the living God. She is an example of a newborn baby in Christ. She is an example of the grace of God extended to those who so undeservedly, or those who do not deserve it. And by the way, Ruth is a picture of you and I. You see, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when you come back into chapter 2, and before you get there, what you find out is that there are three women in a wash pot. Three women in a wash pot. The wash pot being Moab. But now they're back. Orpha decides to stay. Ruth and Naomi come back to Bethlehem, and we see some things that begin to take place. There's something that you need to remember, and always is this. Our decisions determine our destiny. Our decisions determine our destiny. And you're going to see that because Ruth made a decision to turn to the God of, of, of Naomi and to love him and to come back with him, with her, that decision brings her to a place where she is going to meet a wonderful man. And the third character in this passage of Scripture is Boaz. What is there about Boaz? Well, first off, we know that Ruth knows nothing about Boaz. She's never heard his name. She didn't know that he ever existed. But his name means a mighty man. And by the way, when I look at him, he is absolutely the Bethlehem's bachelor. He is the number one man for prospect for marriage. And so we see him there. And in this narrative, Boaz steps into the center of the stage. And we think about uh, uh, Boaz and we think about Ruth. Why is it that Ruth would even want to come back and be a part of Naomi's family? Notice what it says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. I love this. She said, Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Now watch this. Don't miss this. Your people shall be my people. You know what one of Ruth's desires was? To be in the family of Naomi's. She wanted to be back in the family of God. And so her great desire was to come and to be a part of the family of God. Of course, we know that God's law excluded her from the family of Israel or from God. She was a Moabite. We know that the Word of God teaches us that in Deuteronomy that the people of Moab could not have anything to do or be a part of the services of God. And so she was excluded there. But aren't you thankful that what the law excluded, grace includes? Amen? Thankful for the grace of God that it includes me and it includes you. And so Boaz is the one who can show her grace. Boaz is the one who can extend grace to her. And by the way, Ruth needs grace. I'm telling you, if anyone ever needed it, 
She needed grace. And by the way, isn't that the Christmas story? Isn't that what the Christmas story is all about? That you and I, sinful man, the only way we could be reconciled back to a holy God is through the birth of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And by the way, do you know that the law always brings forth to the law, but Jesus Christ always brings forth grace? Notice what the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 17. He says, For the law was given by Moses, but truth and grace came from the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the setting. They're back now in the house of bread. They've come, I can imagine, to a little hut. There's no food to be had. What are they going to do? I'm telling you, they're destitute. How are they going to live? And now we come to chapter 2, and what we see in chapter 2 is the appearance of the Redeemer's grace. The appearance of the Redeemer's grace. In this passage, Ruth absolutely needs grace. She is an outcast, a Gentile. She is from a pagan nation. She has left the wash pot of God. And now she's come back to Bethlehem to worship God. Her desire is to be a part of God's family. So number one, when we look at the appearance of the Redeemer's grace, I want us just to see the search for grace. She was searching for grace. Look with me, if you will, in chapter 2 as we begin reading there in verse 1. Notice what it says. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, his name was Boaz. Chapter, verse 2, here it is. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Three things that she was in search for you find in verse 2. Number one, she was in search when it comes to grace. She needed the purpose of her search was food. She was hungry. They needed food. I mean, everybody needs food. Amen. She said, I need to go to a field because I need food. Number two, not only I need food, I need to find favor. You know what she said there? I need grace. Aren't you thankful for grace? You know what grace is, don't you? That's what God gives to us that we don't deserve. None of us merit the goodness, the forgiveness of God. Amen? And so did this young lady by the name of Ruth. She didn't either. Remember, she's an outcast. She's an enemy from Israel. And yeah, she's come back to the house of bread. I can only imagine she, when she was looked at, possibly she was an outcast, and people would probably say, what in the world is she doing here? You think there was a little prejudice maybe going on at this time? But yet here she is. We know that Ruth needs food. She needs favor, but she also needs fulfillment. And I want you to notice in chapter 2 and verse 1, that's exactly what she says she needs. She's in search of grace. So the purpose of her search was not only uh, for food and favor and for fulfillment, but number two, the purpose of her search, the providence in her search. There's a providence in her search. Notice what begins to take place is, I think this is very amazing to me. If you notice it, she says here that I might go into a field. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. When we think about the providence in her search, we must be reminded that, it, in, that God is involved in the command in the past. Watch the involvement of God's command in the past. If you go to Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, you'll find out that for those that were poor, that were widows, those that had no way of providing for themselves, they could come to the fields and glean after the reapers had already come in. You know what God was just simply saying here? I have provided a social security system for you. There is a welfare plan for the children of Israel. And so what they would do, the reapers would come in and they would glean they wouldn't glean the edges. They wouldn't glean the corners. And people could come in and they could find their food. So we see God's involvement in the command in the past.
But not only that, I want you to notice this. I want you to see God's involvement in controlling the present. In controlling the present. Notice in verse 3 what it says here. It says in verse 3, that Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now watch this. And she happened to come. You see that word happened there, don't you? That's the word happenstance. That's the word that people say, well, you know what? I don't believe in coincidences, do you? I don't. I don't believe in coincidental. I don't believe in accidental. I don't believe in incidental. I want you to understand, I believe in the providential hand of God. You see, God was involved providentially in the past. He gave us a law. God is providentially in the present. He provided the field that Ruth needed to go in. Amen? It wasn't just by happenstance that she went into Boaz's field. So we see here the search for grace. So we see the search for grace, the providential hand of God. We see the purpose of her search, but also let's look at the person in her search. Who's the person that she's going to meet there? Well, this is the man himself. This is the one that she really needed to meet, amen? She needed grace. See, she thought she was looking for a meal, but God was intended for her to find a man. She thought she was looking for food, but God's intention was that she would find a family. Aren't you excited when the providential hand of God always sees more and provides more than you could have ever imagined? So here she is now. She's the person of her search. So she went there. The first we look at in verse chapter, or chapter 2, verse 1, it says there was a relative of Naomi. The first thing that we notice here about the man that she meets here is the fact that he is related to Naomi, Elimelech's side. In other words, he's a kinsman. He's an opportunity. Here's a man that can claim the promise of God that is set forth by, the, by God in his law that if there's a person who is widowed, she has no sons, no one to take care of her, no one's how she going to make it. Well, then a person that is a relative to the man that dies can come alongside of him and he can do something. He can redeem that individual. It's called the kinsman redeemer. And the priorities for that are the criteria is simply this. Number one, you've got to be next to kin. Now, number two, you've got to have the money to pay the bill. And number three, are you willing to do it? So I want you to see here, when we look at this man, there's three qualities that we find that he is absolutely the man that she needs to meet because he is the individual that can provide redemption for her. The first thing, not only do we see that he's a related man, but notice, I want you to notice something else. He is also a rich man. He is a rich man. How do you see that? It says that he was a man of great wealth. So he was a relative. He was a rich man. But I also see something else in this passage of Scripture here. He was a respected man. He's called a great man. He is respected in the city gates. He is respected when he goes to the different places that he goes. So Naomi has brought Ruth back with her to Bethlehem. Ruth has come to a place that she is in search for grace. She knows that she needs food. She knows that she must find favor. She is seeking a desire for fulfillment. She understands that there is a person that she needs to be graceful to her and to allow her to have that opportunity. And so we see the providential hand of God putting her in that field. And then we see the person in her search. It is no other than Boaz. So we see the search for grace in chapter 1. But not only in the search for grace, number 2, I want us to see the source of grace. I want us to see the source of grace. So Ruth now is in this field. And I want you to notice what begins to take place, if you will, in verse 3 and 4. It says, Then she left, went, and gleaned in the field after the reapers. 
she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now watch this. It's fixing to get good. And then in verse 4 it says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him and said, The Lord bless you. So when we come to the source of grace, the person that comes on the scene is Boaz. Boaz shows back up at the field. He's been to Bethlehem. Maybe he's been to the bank of Bethlehem. I don't know where he's been in Bethlehem, but we know he's a businessman, and he's come back. And when he comes back into the field, you must remember, he is absolutely a man of God. He points out directly, verbally, to those that work for him that he loves God. He looks at them, and he just responds to them as he greets them. Notice what he says there. He says, behold, he says, he says the Lord be with you. And they answer, the Lord be bless you and so they spoke of the Lord you do remember the time that we're in right here don't you it was in the day of judges and the Bible says that every man did what was right in his own sight but yeah here's what Boaz said in my eyes and in my sight I'm thankful for God Jehovah and I want my employees to know it and I'm not ashamed to publicly declare it and so Boaz has come back from Bethlehem he's come back if you will from the bank of Bethlehem and now he's in his field and he's with his workers and when he comes to that field, something begins to happen. Notice what he does in verse 5. It says, now you've got to remember now, y'all, this is a love story. And I'll be honest with you, when I was reading this story, I went back to when uh, the very first time I saw my wife, Donna. And so today I'm going to share some things about her, and if you go out here and tell it, I will have no hair on my head when I get home. But I know you're going to do it, so it's okay. It'll be all right, all right? So here we go. I want you to notice what happens to Boaz after he greets those that are working for him. In verse 5, he says, Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Now, if you read that in the verbiage, in the, in, that it needs to be how it's written in the Hebrew, what he's saying is, is Man, what, who in the world is this woman? She is something else to look at. That's what he's saying. In other words, he looks over and sees her. He said, Good night, a living. Where'd this woman come from? I'll be honest with you. The first time I saw my wife, Donna, and this is crazy, y'all. She had a sister I thought was very pretty. I really did. But I'm going to tell you, the first time I saw Donna, I, just was, I was just overcome. It just took one look. I'm going to be honest with you, just one look. And that's what the language is speaking here. Boaz is just simply, when he exclaims to her, it just took one look. You say, David, what happened? Well, I took that one look, and she walked on by and just went on down the hallway there to school. And I just couldn't believe there was that pretty of a young lady in my school. And if there was, how come I had never seen her? Boaz has said, where'd she come from? I've never seen her. And he finds out that she is a foreigner of Moabitess. Donna was a, was a foreigner. She'd just come from the eighth grade and come into the ninth grade. And when I looked at her, I'm telling you right now, it just took one look. I walked all the way down to her locker. I went down to the locker, and she said, who are you? <laughs> Can I tell you something, Jeff? That's exactly what Ruth's going to say to Boaz. Who are you? Watch this. It gets good. It gets, I know what some of you are doing right now. You're thinking about that first time you took a look. Keep it in mind. It's going to get good. I wish the parents could see all these on the front row grinning right here. It's good. So here's what happens. On the scene, here comes a source of grace. He's, he's Boaz. 
He falls head over heel for Ruth. And I want you to notice something quite interesting in verse 10 as we move a little forward. And I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying. I promise you, I'm going to hurry. Verse 10. Notice what happens here. Ruth asked him a question. And notice what she says. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor or grace in your eyes that I should take notice, uh, uh, that you should take notice of me, for I am a foreigner? Listen, folks. It don't take much sense to figure that out. She was a good-looking woman. He took notice of her because she was good-looking. The first time I saw Donna, I took notice of her because she was good-looking. I got news for you. She ain't changed. She's got better-looking. And I'm just saying. That's why he took She says, I took notice of her. Now, here's the, here's the problem when I look at that, and I see that's in here. Here's my question. Why did Jesus look at me? What is there about Jesus? What is there in me that would cause Jesus to look on me? Folks, it's not what in me that's causing Jesus to look in me. It's what's in Jesus that's causing him to look at me. He is the redeemer. He's the one full of grace. He's the one full of mercy. I'm telling you, Mike, there's nothing about me that would cause the Lord Jesus Christ to do anything that looks in me. I'm a sinful man, but he's full of mercy, full of grace. That's why he went to Calvary. So all of a sudden now, in this narrative, as we go along, he falls head over heels with her. And so Boaz shows her grace. And by the way, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Amen? So here's grace. It is a gift. Grace is brought into the field. And by the way, I want you to understand something. If you want to know what operates the grace of God, it's your faith and my faith. That's the trigger that operates that. And so grace is there. You said, David, what did grace bring to her? When he looked at her and said, I want you to know you're some more good-looking woman, I'm telling you, I don't know where you came from. I've never seen you. She says, I know why. Because I'm a foreigner. Why hadn't you, you know, why would you look at me? Here's what grace provided for her. Number one, grace provided direction. It provided direction. When you go in verse 8, he said to her, you will listen, my daughter. Will you not, do not go and glean in another field. He said, I'll tell you right now, don't you go find another field because there might be another man. Don't you do that. Now, I'm going to tell you, I just had started dating Donna I, and I'll tell about that in a minute. But I'm going to tell you, I didn't want her to go anywhere else, anywhere. She had already committed to go to the senior prom with somebody. And I hadn't asked anybody to go with me. Oh, I wanted her to go with me. And I know what you're saying, so what did you do? I'll tell you what I did. I went home, parked my car in her backyard with a boy that was coming to pick her up, couldn't see that I was there. Me and her daddy sat and played cards until she got home. He said, you mean he, you were there when she left and you, you were there when she came back? Yeah, and I looked to see if he gave her a little kiss when he left her at the door. He said, hey, what's this got to do with this? I'll tell you exactly what to do. Notice what he's saying. Stay close. Don't you get out of my field. You know what he said? Don't get out of my sight so I can keep an eye on you. And then he goes on with a little direction. He says, I want you to know I'm going to give you a little protection. You stay close. And he goes in here and in verse 9, I love this. He said, let your eyes be on the field which, which they reap. Go after them. You stay close to my young women. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? He gave her direction. He gave her protection. That's what grace brings. And then he gives her affection. Oh, yeah, it's getting better. A little affection going on right here. Here's what he does in verse 13. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. There's that word grace again. 
Watch this. For you have comforted me and you have spoken. Now watch this. Underline this next phrase here. Kindly to your maid servant. It's a term of endearment. She is embracing grace. I'm telling you right now, she is absolutely being caught up in the grace of affection. She said, I don't understand this grace. I don't understand how I got in this field. I don't, I don't understand how I'm able to eat. I don't understand how I'm able to glean. I'm a foreigner. I came from the wash pot of God. And now I'm here and there's a man that should not have anything to do with me. He shouldn't even be able to speak to me. And now all of a sudden he takes one look at me. And now he's wanting to provide for me direction, protection. And he's affectionate to me as well. Not only does grace provide that, but don't you see something else grace provides? Grace provides satisfaction. Can you ever, listen, could you ever say or I ever say that we've never been satisfied by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? His grace is sufficient, amen? amen. All of a sudden in verse 14, notice what it does. He says there, now Boaz said to her at the mealtime, come here, eat of the bread, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar, so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Direction, protection, affection, and satisfaction. Grace is given to her. You know what he did, Nate? He looked at her, and he said, I don't know what you're doing for lunch today, but I know a quiet little place that has some wonderful food. We can have a great conversation and if you don't mind, I'd like to invite you to come have lunch with me today. And she accepts the invitation. And man, I'm telling you, he provides for her. He gives her the oil. He gives her the food, the parched grain. She eats some of it, Robin. You know what she says? I don't know if I'll ever get to be back tomorrow. I don't know what my mother-in-law is going to eat. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take some of that parched grain that's been given to me, shown to me by grace. And I'm going to take some back with me, back home. So we see in this passage of Scripture, in chapter 1, we definitely see the search for grace. There's no doubt about it. We see the source of grace. But I want you to see the show of grace. You see, when you and I experience the grace of God, the natural overflow should be what? We want to show grace to others. Amen? You and I, our lives ought to be a picture of the grace of God, and we ought to be a, a vessel by which the grace of God not only can flow into, but flow out of. Now watch what she does here. So she goes on, and so she's all excited. I mean, she has found the right field. She's found the right man. And now she's fixing to go home. It says in verse 15, and she, she rose up to glean. Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. He's just giving her free reign. Free reign. To all that he has, he has lavishly showered her with grace. So here's what she does. So she gleaned in the field until evening, verse 17, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, about 25 pounds. That'd be a half a bushel today. And so now she's got one. I want you to, remind, I want you to be reminded that she's got one. She's got one more than she had when she went there. She's already satisfied. She's had a wonderful lunch date. Met a wonderful man who has given her great promises. 
And now she's on her way because of his grace has allowed her to not just to glean into the corners, not just to glean into the edges. She has got right behind the reapers and even have told them to leave some for her to have. And so now how does she show grace? Then she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had and kept back after she had been satisfied. You know what she did here? Number one, when you show grace, you show grace this way. Number one, by love. You show your grace by love. She loved Naomi. She loved Naomi to the point that she was willing to do without it. That's what it meant. So that she could give to her what she had already received. You see, when you receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to give that back out of love because of what you received. That's the reason why we do what we do here at Maysville Baptist Church. That's the reason we do Christmas musical the way we do. That's the reason we teach Sunday school the way we teach it. That's the reason we preach the way we preach it, so that we can extend to you the love of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So she showed her grace by loving her. Number two, she showed her grace, I think this is so interesting, not only by her love, but with her lips. With her lips. Notice what she does here. And so she worked. She said, bless me the one who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said. She begins to speak about the encounter. Notice she says in verse 19, you're not going to believe this, about Boaz. His name's Boaz. And I had a lunch date with him. And I just, listen, I went to the right field at the right time, at the right place, met the right person. Whoa, it's been nothing but good. That's going on now. Not only does she express it with her love, show it. Not only does she express it with her lips, she tells it, but she also expresses her love with her labor. Her labor. Notice what she does in verse 23. In verse 22, let me back up. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. She said, bless God, don't you get out of that field. You stay right there where you are. So she stayed close by the young woman of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Chapter 2 ends. She has come to the place, and there's the appearance of the Redeemer's grace. It is absolutely very evident for her search. It's very evidence of the source, and it's very evidence of the show of God's amazing grace. So not only do we see the appearance of the Redeemer's grace, but number two, we'll go to chapter three, and we see the acceptance of the Redeemer's grace. You see, you can be offered grace and not accept it. The Lord Jesus Christ died on Calvary so you and I could receive grace through salvation. Amen? But he extends it to us, but there's something about grace. The only way Jesus Christ can affect my life and your life, we must accept him. Amen? John 1.12 says, But as many as accepted him or received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. I'm telling you today, you can have grace put in front of you. You can see the grace that's offered to you. But the only way it's going to affect you to change your life, you must be willing to receive God's grace. And so chapter 3 comes on the scene, and we see here automatically the acceptance of the Redeemer's grace. The love story continues. I'm telling you, I believe that Ruth goes to bed at night, and she thinks nothing but about Boaz. I'm going to tell you something else. I believe Boaz goes to sleep at night, and he doesn't think anything else but about Ruth. And so there it takes place. The Bethlehem bachelor is going to become the Bethlehem redeemer. So there it is, the story set in place with us. It's there in Bethlehem. 
Bethlehem is a place that we understand and we know the greatest miracle ever took place in the life of humanity is when God himself came in the flesh and was born in Bethlehem. Amen. And I'm going to be honest with you, Ruth is a picture because we know in this story what's going to take place if you go to the end, and I'm not going to spoil it all, but there's going to be a baby that's going to be born in Bethlehem, and down the road there's going to be another baby born in Bethlehem. His name's going to be Jesus. And so we see the acceptance of the Redeemer. So number one, I want us to see how Ruth gets ready for the Redeemer. How Ruth gets ready for the Redeemer. Notice, if you will, in chapter 3, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Naomi comes on the scene. She's been thinking about all, about Boaz and all that Ruth has experienced all the way through the end of the harvest. Not just the barley harvest, but also the wheat harvest. And so now she's there and she's thinking about it. And I can just see Naomi just thinking in herself, number one, I have a desire for you. You see Naomi's desire. It's found there in verse 1. Notice what it says there in verse 1. She says, Naomi and her mother said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? Security. You ought to unline that word. Can I just tell you, men, I want you to listen right here to me right here. This is going to be, Carol, this right here is going to be a marriage statement for couples right here. If I were to ask you what is a lady or a woman's greatest need, you would give me every answer in the world. Can I just go ahead and tell you what it is? Security. It's security. What we know today, Naomi knew back then. Naomi had lost a husband. She had lost two children. She was in despair. She was in destitute. She was bitter. And now she's come back to the house of bread. And I'm telling you, that old bitterness is going away because God's bringing blessings into her life. And her desire, because she loves Ruth, is that she has more than anything in the world, security. I'm thankful that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, and it's secured in the heavenlies, amen? What you and I desire more than anything to know is that when we die, where are we going to spend eternity? It will be in heaven or it will be in hell. But through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have redemption and the forgiveness of his sins. And so we find here that Naomi has a desire. She becomes a matchmaker. She says, you know what? We got to hurry things up a little bit. Uh, we got to move things on. And you need to go ahead and uh, become more prominent in Boaz's life. And so we see her desire. She wants more than anything for her daughter-in-law to have security. And so you know what she does? She turns her attention off of herself. She takes her eyes off of her own needs. And by grace, she puts it on someone else. You know, one of the greatest things that you and I could do to help us when we get a little despondent and a little despair, we can focus on others. O-T-H-E-R-S. Naomi took her eyes off herself. People are shaking their head. And what does she do? She gets interested in someone else. Loving God, loving others, and serving the world. You know why this church continues to grow? You know why it continues to see souls saved? You know why it continues to see lives change and transform forever? Because it's not about us, it's about others, amen? And so all of a sudden, here's Boaz, he's got his eyes on Ruth, and Naomi uh, has got her eyes on Ruth, and Ruth can't help it, she's in a mess. I mean, she's fixing to be all in a mess. So watch what Naomi does now. So not only do we see Naomi's desire, look at her direction. 
When you go here in verses 3 through 5, I think it's very interesting what she tells her. And y'all know I'm just kind of paraphrasing some of this because so I, I got, to get, got to get along here. So now Boaz, whose young women, uh, are Bo, now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? So she's talking to her. In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. How in the world did Naomi know where Boaz was going to be? But she knew. I'll tell you where he's going to be. He's going to be down at the threshing floor. They're going to be having a celebration. The harvest always represents celebration. You let a harvest of souls get saved, bless God. There's always a celebration, amen? So a celebration is taking place. They're winnowing. What they're doing is they're throwing the barley up or the wheat, and they're letting the wind hit it, and it's blowing the chaff away, and the seed falls back to the ground. And she says, I'll tell you where that man is. He's going to be down at the threshing floor. And by the way, there's something that you need to do. In other words, if you're going to get prepared for him, because he's a great man, He's a wealthy man. He's a kinsman. You better do some things. She said, number one, you better wash yourself. You know what she told her? She said, number one, you better get cleaned up, girl. You've been in them fields of working and all that dust. You better go in there and get your best bubble bath you can lay down in, and you better be smelling mighty fine. Now, y'all women are laughing. Bless God, you remember the first date you ever had? You know what you did when you went off with him? You probably got the, got, took a bath and put on your... Man get her. I mean, you probably did that because the next thing, that's what she tells her to do. She said, not only do I want you to go there and to take a bath, she said something else. Wash yourself. She said, anoint yourself. You know what that is? That's a picture of consecration. Anointing. Put it on. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ, he puts us on. She said, I want you to understand something. You go get the best man getter you can get. I don't know what you call it, but put it on. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Donna had some of that stuff on it like to gag me to death. I had the windows of that boat swagging down about three-fourths of the way, pedal to the floor, running all it would do, 50 miles an hour down the road. Yeah, get your man-getter on. Get your bubble glass on. Then he goes on and he tells something else. Or she does, she tells her something else to do. She says, I want you to uh, put on your best garment. You know what she says there? She says, I want you to think about your clothes. She said, you ain't doing nothing but wearing work clothes. You ain't got nothing on but widow clothes. And bless God, I want you to go get some woman clothes on. You know what she told her? You need to be dressed up, looking, smelling good, and looking good. Get on your party dress. And get ready to go. I mean, you ought to see all, I just wish you could see all the smiles up here. And you know what I'm thinking? You're thinking just what I, I remember when. I was so overwhelmed. That's what I did. So he says there's, there's a time for cleansing. He says there's also a time for consecration. He said there's a time for the right clothes. And then he tells her something else. He tells her in that passage of Scripture right there, and he said, now when you get ready to get your best clothes on, he said, I, she said, I want you to go down to the threshing floor. That's commitment. That's commitment. She said, I want you to do all that I've told you to do, and then I want you to go down to the threshing floor, and when you get down there, this is what I want you to do. She says, I want you to go down there. And when you get down there, don't let anyone know. And he says, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be with, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. She's just giving her directions. Not only is she talking to her about her cleansing. 
Not only is she talking about being consecrated because of what she puts on with anointing. Not only is she talking about the type of clothes you get off your widow clothes and your work clothes and get on your woman clothes. Commitment. This is where I want you to go, but there's one more. She says, I want to tell you about your conduct. All those are C's. If you want them when it's all over, we love giving to you. Now, now, Ruth, listen to me, honey. You're not from here. And our customs are different from yours. And, and, and you need to remember what I'm going to tell you and why you need to do this. So notice what he does. Notice what she tells her about her conduct. She goes here and she tells her, says, until he has finished eating and drinking, then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. In other words, you don't want to go to another man. I mean, can you imagine going to a wrong man to do what she's fixing to do? I mean, she didn't have no smartphone to pull out a flashlight on it to find out where he was, amen. I don't imagine there was any hall light stuck in the hall when all the lights go out so you can see what's going on. She said, I'm going to bore people. To I'm going to tell you right now what you better do is you better make sure you go to the right man. So when he lies down and you can see, don't let anybody see you, you mark it. You, in other words, put your GPS on it so you know where he is. So all of a sudden, he tells her that. And she says, and then I'm, I'm going to tell you what you, you should do. And she said and told her, all that you say to me, I will do. I'm telling you right now, Ruth commits. She said, I'll do it. So she goes down to the threshing floor, verse 6 says, and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to the down or he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now watch this. If you're not careful, you're going to see something that would, could be have some sexual overtones in this, and that's not the case here. The custom was back then for a lady to propose to a man. Today, it should be that a, a man proposed to a lady. And so what the custom was, she said, now, Ruth, you're going to go down there, and when he gets through eating, he's happy. He's not, he's not hungry anymore. He's happy. And he lies down to go to sleep. What I want you to do is quietly, and I want you to go down and uncover his feet, and I want you to lie down at his feet. You see, when you find Naomi in chapter 2, or Ruth in chapter 2, she's in a field. But now here in chapter 3, she's at his feet. And so now she's there. She's come there, and Boaz is laying down, and all of a sudden, she is at his feet, and we see those wonderful directions. So what we need to know now is not only that, we need to see how Ruth goes to the Redeemer for this special purpose. We notice, number one, what she asked. Notice in verse 9. She's there. She's uncovered his feet. Nothing wrong with what's going on here. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. I want you to notice what he and she asked. He is startled. He wakes up, there's a woman at his feet. He can't believe it. Not only is, he, is, is she at his feet, his feet are uncovered, which would indicate in that custom that here is a lady at my feet and she is proposing to me to be her redeemer. He says, who are you? What are you doing? What do you want? And notice 
what she asked in verse 9. This is amazing. I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. You know what she was saying there? I want you to take me. I want you to put your arms around me, a picture of wings of a hen. And I want you to redeem me and my mother-in-law. I want you to possess us. I'm committed to you. And I want you to know I want you to be my redeemer. It so overwhelms him. I mean, he is so startled. But I'm telling you, she does exactly what her mother-in-law tells her to do. And notice what he does in verse 10 through 13. He says, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people in my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Great statement. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. But watch this. Stay this night. And in the morning it shall be that if, it, if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. You know what? He makes a commitment to her. He said, I want you to understand something. There is a man that's closer to you than I am, to Emelette. And I want you to understand something. If he will perform the duty, if he, listen, if he will pay the price because we know he's a relative. That's two things it has to be. But the key is, is he willing? We'll find out in chapter 4. Is he willing? He said, but don't you worry. You lie down. I'm telling you, I'm going to do everything that it takes because I want you to be assured I want to redeem you. Jesus Christ did everything he could to redeem you and I. God committed a love toward us that while we were enemies, he demonstrated that love toward us. How? By dying on a cross. Notice his answer. But notice something else. How he's <laughs> operating to secure her as her redeemer. Notice what he does here. Three things real quick. Number one, he calms her fears in verse 11. He says there in verse 11, as a redeemer, now my daughter, do not fear. He calms her fears. Number two, not only do we see that he calms her fear, or, or he claims her. He says, I'll tell you right now, if he don't do it, I'm telling you by the living God, I will do everything that's necessary for you. Do you know that Jesus Christ claims you and I when he died on Calvary's cross and he resurrected from the dead? That's Bethlehem's story. He came from heaven to claim every person that would claim him. Ruth's made it known. She's claiming him. Boaz is making it known. He is claiming her. So we see what Ruth does, to, how Ruth goes to the Redeemer. And the last thing I want to see is what Ruth says about her Redeemer. This is very interesting to me. Notice, first off, if you will, number one, Naomi. Notice here comes Ruth. Notice what happens now. It turned out she stayed all the night, verse 14, so she lays at his feet until morning. She rose before one could recognize her or recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Threshing floor. She didn't want anything. He didn't want any kind of innuendos to be made about Ruth. There was nothing impure and immoral what she did. He wanted her to remain virtuous in the sight of everybody. And so then in verse 15, also he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when he held it, he measured six ephahs of barley 
and laid it on her. When she goes to the, first, to the field the first time, she leaves with one. Now she's at the threshing floor, and he's committed to be her redeemer. He gives her six. If they weigh 25 pounds apiece, how in the world is a woman going to carry 150 pounds of barley or wheat on her back? I don't know, but bless God, she did it. Amen? You say, David, what happened? Watch this. This is good now. And so now she's got the barley. He laid it on her. She went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Watch this. Is that you, my daughter? I'm telling you right now, Naomi hadn't slept at all that night. I can only imagine the thoughts that she must have had about Ruth being down there at the threshing floor. Number one, did she go and she was unnoticed? Number two, did she find out where Boaz was going to be laid? Number three, did she secretly go to him and find him in the dark like she was supposed to? And number four, what in the world happened when you laid at his feet? Is Anybody in here, is there a mom in here wanting to know what happened when you, yeah, I'm looking at eyebrows right. I'm telling you right now, this mama was concerned. She wanted to know what was happening, and she didn't mind asking the right question. So she says this very clearly. I love this. And she said there to her, so good to her. She said, the six ephahs do it empty. And she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. Mama, it was the greatest experience I've ever had. I'm so in love with him. I'm telling you right now, he is better than, Mama, I never dreamed it would be like that. And by the way, look what he sent me home with. I mean, he has given me all that he can. To, you know what he did, Penny? He bought the best diamond ring he could have ever given to her when he gave her six bar, epoms of barley. He said, the best I've got for you, I'm giving to you. All that it costs me, I'm, you're worth it. I'm giving every bit of it. One day in heaven, Genesis 3, in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. I find it very interesting if you go to Genesis after the sixth day God rested, but when chapter 3 comes and sin comes in, the Bible says God began to work. Now watch this. I'm about to end this up. Watch this. Watch this last verse of Scripture right here. Verse 18, then she said, sit still, my daughter. Don't be anxious. You wait. The appointed time is coming. And there will be a, boy, a baby born in Bethlehem. Galatians says, at the appointed time, God sent his son. Watch this now. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Genesis 3. God went to work. And he wouldn't rest until the matter was concluded on a day. And then in Bethlehem, born in a major, God was still at work. And he would not rest until the matter was concluded on that day. And then we find a young man by the name of Jesus when he's 12 years old. He's at work in the temple. And he's at work and the matter will not rest until it's finished that day. And then there's a man named Jesus. He goes to Calvary. And on that way, he sees a poor blind man. And the Bible says, he said, I will not rest until the work is settled that day. Then there's a 38-year-old lame man in the book of John. 
Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. And everybody is all upset. And he said, my work is to, to do the will of the Father. I can't rest until his work is done. Then I see him going up Calvary's hill, been sped upon, and his work is not done until the matter's finished that day. They put a brow of thorns upon his head, but he's at work. The rest he can't have until the work is settled that day. They put him on a cross, and they put the spikes in him, and he's not going to be at rest until the matter's settled that day. They raised that cross with Jesus on it. His blood began to fall, but he's at work, and he can't rest until the matter's settled that day. And then he cries out, it is finished. And the work is finished, and it's settled that day. And Ephesians says, in him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. I'm telling you, the Boaz was not going to rest. He was going to be her redeemer until he settled the matter. He was not going to rest. And I'm telling you, as sinners, God, in his, in his sovereign nature, his grace, his mercy, was at work. He would not rest until he gave up his only boy who came to this earth, born in a manger in Bethlehem. He grew up. He was the Savior of the world. He not only died on the cross, he conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. Folks, that's the story of Christmas. The kinsman redeemer, Boaz, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ruth is a picture of the bride of Christ, the church of Christ. And he's redeemed us by his precious blood. What a story. What a Christmas story. So here's the question. If decisions determine our destiny, have you ever decided to choose Christ? Have you ever experience the grace of God by turning from sin and receiving him as your Savior. If you've never done that, then Christmas doesn't mean any more to you than gifts and gadgets and toys and trinkets and food and spending time with other people. But when you know the true story of Christmas, you understand the forgiveness of sin. You know the joy of Jesus. You understand why God did what he did for sinners such as you and I, he did it because of one word, grace. How do you spell grace? I know what you're saying. G-R-A-C-E, no. It's J-E-S-U-S. So all of a sudden, I can just see Ruth. Be patient, Ruth, her mama says. And all of a sudden, she begins to hum a little bit. Grace, grace, God, grace. And she goes on a little bit more. I'm just a sinner. Saved by Thank God. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, the work is finished and by his grace you and I get to have a personal relationship with him through the forgiveness of sin that he offers to us simply through grace let's pray heads are bowed and eyes are closed you've never experienced the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ you've heard about it our choir sang about it this morning they'll sing about it tonight You've heard people talk about God's grace. But you've never experienced God's grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. 
and that not of yourself it's the gift of God have you ever received the gift of Christmas it is the Lord Jesus Christ and today you can receive him this morning early I came in here and, and I prayed that the Holy Spirit of God would bring great conviction of sin on people that needed to receive Christ as Savior I prayed that during the invitation that there would be liberty and freedom for you, sir, and you, ma'am, you teenager, to receive Christ and to respond to him. And today, God's going to offer you that opportunity. And so from your heart to God's heart, the scripture says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Sir, if that's you, ma'am, if that's you, teenager, if that's you, today I want you to know God wants to lavish you with his grace. So from your heart, would you cry out to him something like this? Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I truly believe that you are the Son of God. And I'm asking you right now to come into my heart and be my Savior. I surrender all there is to me.